Support for this show is brought to you by Instill. Our friends at Instill really understand what it means to build and manage relationships in a holistic and human-first way. The platform's advanced UX design and real-time analytics, smooth donor management to make it easy for you to connect every supporter to the impact of your work. To learn more, head on over to www.instill.io backslash Mallory. But then the giving is direct. And so the relationship mm. is direct. And so it's very two-way of money flowing from the donor to the nonprofit, the business or individual to the nonprofit, and then impact and storytelling mm. and you know, all of that positive flowing back. And then together they're creating something more through how they communicate that. Welcome back to episode 41 of What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. This episode is made possible by our friends at Pledge. In today's episode, I'm interviewing Kate Williams. Kate is the CEO of 1% for the Planet, a global movement that inspires action and commitment so that our planet and future generations thrive. 1% for the Planet's global network of thousands of businesses and individuals have given hundreds of millions to environmental partners to date. Kate helps us imagine a world in which every operating budget includes line items to underwrite social causes as routinely as office space or equipment rental. And we get to hear how the results of amazing cross-sector partnerships include mutual learning, storytelling, and opportunity. A true win-win-win. Kate explains why companies of all sizes, as well as individuals, are willing to tithe 1% of their annual revenue under the umbrella of 1% for the planet, and what the organization provides in exchange for that commitment. We also talk about the matrix that creates synergistic partnerships between a nonprofit and a corporate sponsor. How do you know who is the right corporate partner for you and your organization based on your assets? There is so much wisdom in this episode, so let's dive in and meet Kate. Welcome, everyone. I am so thrilled to be here today with Kate Williams. I'm going to let her introduce herself in a moment, but Kate, I'm just so grateful for you and your time and the work that you do and for joining me today. So thanks so much. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. What a great opportunity to have a conversation. I'm Kate Williams, as Mallory shared, and I'm the CEO of 1% for the Planet, which is a global nonprofit focused on environmental philanthropy. So we have members in the business space as well as individuals who commit to giving their 1% back to environmental nonprofits. And you and I were connected many years ago when I was one of those environmental nonprofits. But can you tell me a little bit more about sort of the history and the structure and the innovation of 1% for the planet? Sure. And it's our 20th anniversary this year. So it's fun to talk about where we've come from and where we're headed. So really appreciate that. But we were founded 20 years ago on the banks of the Madison River in Montana. The story goes when Yvonne Chouinard, who's the founder of Patagonia, and his friend Craig Matthews, who was the founder of fly fishing company Blue Ribbon Flies, basically had connected all the dots on their own commitment to the environment and their awareness that business both has an impact, a negative impact on the planet, just 
by virtue of doing business, even if you're being careful, and is a generator of resources that can give back to the planet. So their aha moment on the banks of the river is we need to create a way in which all businesses can step into the opportunity to connect their business directly to not only growing and building as a business, but also side by side, giving back for every bit of that growth. So 1% for the planet was born as a way to have businesses essentially pay rent is a way to think about mm -hmm. it for acting and growing and doing all the things that businesses do that are wonderful and impactful uh, on the planet such that business can become increasingly a force that sustains our planet so that it can be a thriving place for future generations. Can you tell us a little bit about the growth trajectory that you've seen? Because 20 years ago, and even however many years ago that it was that I was leading that environmental organization, I feel like there was a lot more banging my head against the wall, getting people to talk about things like climate change. And I'm just curious what you've seen and what the organization has seen really, and how many people are a part of the network today. Yeah. From two guys talking on the banks of the river, we're now a fully global. So we're more than 50% international in terms of mm -hmm. our membership. We have more than 6,000 members adding up individuals and businesses alone are more than 5,500. It's definitely sizable. And the real number though, is the amount of giving. That's how we measure impact. So last year we certified more than $50 million in giving. We do convert it all into dollars. It happens internationally, but we do mm -hmm. translate it all into dollars to describe our impact. And I think also there it's grown in many different dimensions. There are those numbers, but then there's also the sectors, like, so who's involved? Mm -hmm. And we're across many different sectors. People often in their minds, I think because of our founding, associate us with the outdoor industry, but actually we are no more than 10% of our total network in any single industry. So we're in food and beverage, apparel, beauty, financial services, like really across the board. And that is really awesome. And we're small businesses, we're big businesses. So we have publicly held companies, we have privately held companies. What we love about all of that is not only is diversity stronger than homogeneity, but it also really signifies that this isn't a sort of niche strategy for mm -hmm. doing business. This is a core business approach. And really every industry can integrate philanthropy into the core of their business operations as a way to connect the business to driving change through nonprofit giving. And that's super mm. exciting to see that. Mm. I love that. And I think that's so exciting to see that diversity across sectors. And it's been so fascinating to watch the growth around ESG funding and the shift in corporate awareness around so many things. And I know when we've talked before, one of the things that you all do, from my understanding, is really help with a piece of due diligence to protect and ensure the integrity of the network. And tell me a little bit about that. And who are the businesses who are part of 1% in terms of not what do they do, but what do they believe and why have they decided to be a part of the network and what helps them feel that sense of belonging? Yeah. So again, I would say the businesses are many and diverse in terms of who they are as they come to 1% for the planet. And what I mean by that is that 
our one of our internal mottos is progress, not perfection. If we were to screen out every company except for those that have already hit the highest levels of sustainability, I would feel like, so what? Like, how are we really making the world better? Those companies have already figured out a lot, and that's awesome. Go forth and be amazing companies. But we really want to make sure we're also welcoming in companies who are really psyched progress in their journey of driving change. 1% of sales is a big number. So any company that comes to us and says, I'm interested, I want to explore doing that. We're like, we want to talk to you because good for you for thinking about how you can incorporate this into how you do business at a high level. 1% of revenue is not nothing. And what we really look for, we'll talk to anyone and what we really look for is, are you you know, interested in leaning into our program and to becoming part of the community? And that's when we really get into the values to that mm. part of your question. There's so much that companies gain that in the end, what we really love is when companies feel like, yeah, it's 1% of the sales, but boy, I gain so much. And of those values, just to run down the list, one is the diligence that we do on the nonprofit side. So we can help companies to feel really confident that the nonprofit's that they're giving to are awesome impact driving nonprofits who make great partners. And we really are able to assess our nonprofits and elevate those nonprofits that are able to drive impact and do that in a way that meets the needs of the donors and of the planet. Members also access our advising. So figuring out how to put a giving strategy in place is hard. It's like hard to know how to give well. And I think that a lot of people know that and a lot of people don't give because of that, feel overwhelmed by it. Our awesome staff is really experienced with helping to develop the matrix of what's a company trying to accomplish, what's the brand story, the volunteering appetite, all of those different things. What's the geography, the size? We're able to help develop that giving strategy and really think through how it can be integrated with the business. And then another one that's really important is the amplification. So telling the story, like part of our growth in recent years, especially has been because consumers are super interested in how can my dollars drive change? And they're looking for ways that they can understand which brands are the ones that they want to put their dollars into. Mm. And so 1% for the planet is a really strong signifier because so often our companies are not only giving their 1%, which is driving really meaningful change, dollars be invested in those companies given for purchasing are really contributing to powerful change. Oftentimes they're also doing a lot more. So the 1% for the planet logo is a big signifier as is the storytelling. So we're able to help amplify what our members are doing through storytelling and supporting the members in storytelling. And then I would say last but not least, and there's some other values as well, but it's an amazing community for individuals and businesses to become part of this community of people who are making this commitment. It's so powerful and so energizing. And there's so many stories in our network of members who access this powerful community. And then they start saying, okay, so 1% giving is one thing. And now I'm going to do all these other things because I'm so inspired by these other members. And I'm also like practically instructed too. oh, I, I see how they're doing packaging. I can ask this person about how they're doing their banking. So many things start to come together through the network that it's super powerful. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I'm curious, I know this is a little bit of a nitty gritty question, but the decision for it to be 1% of revenue of sales, as opposed to 1% of profit, I have to imagine that was really intentional. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. And it's a great question because there's sometimes confusion on that and it's the big number. Basically, it's that 
revenues or sales, excuse me, is a verified commitment every single year. Whether you do well or don't do well, you have a revenue number. It's a commitment that has to withstand the test of time. And it also is a commitment that really makes it clear that investing in the planet, investing in nonprofit partners, isn't something that you opt in or out of based on whether or not you had a good year, because you're having an impact on the planet, whether or not you're having Mm. a good year. So it's important that you're building in this paying of rent because we don't get to choose not to pay our staff or not to pay our rent if we have a, a year that's a little tighter than a good year. We sometimes may struggle with that, but we still do it because we know we have to have those things in place to operate our business. We also need to have a healthy planet in place for its own sake, but also for us to have an economy for the future. 1% of sales really captures that whole philosophy um, in a really meaningful, very specific, tangible way. I love it. I have to imagine that it creates a level of consciousness around the commitment all year long, as opposed to something they might do at the end of the year or during one reporting cycle, because it's a real, I feel like with environmental investments, we often, there was a headline in the newspaper the other day that said something about aiding climate or something like that there was going to be something in the budget to aid the climate. And I just looked at my husband and I was like, how about undo the years of harm that have been caused that now we have to fix? I feel like there's this really important sort of language piece and consciousness piece that decision creates that's incredibly valuable and is probably a huge part of then why they go on to do in addition to the network and that inspiration more and more because all of a sudden it's in their consciousness at all times that they're having this impact. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And it's in their consciousness and it's built into their business too, Mm -hmm. which is really important because I think we sometimes traditional philanthropy is like this extra. Mm. At the end of the year, if I have money left over, I'll give it. That'll be a Mm. nice thing. What we believe in, what the 1% for the planet model really structures is, no, it's like part of your business because if you drive more sales, you get to give more. I mean, Mm. we have amazing members, Maine Beer Company, and it's a semantic difference, but it's very real. They talk about their success as a company in terms of the amount they're able to give. And of course, that's a like, percentage of their total revenue, but it's a really different way of thinking about what success looks Mm -hmm. like. And that's a great example of both what you're saying about the consciousness, but also of the fact that it is just such a core part of the business. I love that. I interviewed someone a few months ago who talked a little bit about that from their own income standpoint, that they tithe 10% and they actually think about how much they want to earn in a given year by how much they're going to give away. And so I think that is just such a beautiful, beautiful way to, to think about those pieces. The other thing you said before that I just want to go deep in is the way that 1% has really created this valuable asset to organizations. And I feel like the way that you think about partnership, what you said before around how they're getting so much that, yeah, maybe it's 1% of sales, but they're getting so many things. And one of the things we see often in the nonprofit sector, and I just actually hopped off a call where somebody said, would it be okay to go to X, Y, and Z restaurant to see if they want to do this campaign with us? It feels like it should, it's the wrong time because it's the restaurants are really struggling right now. And I said, in that question, is this inherent belief that 
it's not going to be good for them, like for their business. It's that it would only be inappropriate to bring it up if you feel like the partnership offers no value to them and it's only for you, which is something I focus a lot on. How do you build win-win mutually beneficial cross-sector partnerships and how when you do that, everything changes like, and your own feelings as a fundraiser. And I feel like you guys are the best example of this. So will you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. I think what you're getting at is the whole idea of trade-offs and it really, that used to be how we framed a lot of the thinking about doing good is that there's a trade-off. Like you choose to do something that's good for the planet at the expense of, or as a trade-off against doing well or making money that seen as you had to sacrifice one for the other. And I think what has been really good to see, unfortunately, I think it's because things have gotten like so much Mm. starker, but that is sometimes what we need in order to see the light, but that doing the right thing for the planet, but also like the data shows that this is for other causes that people care about. Mm. So a lot of social causes that is good for your business in a bunch of different ways. It's good because consumers are interested in that. So just from a brand and sales standpoint, as long as it's credible and consumers are good Mm. at sniffing out inauthenticity, as long as it's credible that it's good for sales and good for the brand. I think it's also the longevity of businesses and the viability of businesses increasingly seen in that sort of crucible of in order for us to have a habitable econ- planet with an economy that can operate, we have to address some of these issues. So I do think while there are still some trade-offs, because sometimes there have to be upfront investments in order to get into a more sustainable place, but by and large, we're increasingly seeing those trade-offs get equalized, which is awesome because then we can really start talking about the real stuff, which is that how in the world could we not do what's right for the planet? When did we get it into our heads that there was an economy that should be at odds with a healthy planet. If you think of the economy should be an ecosystem, which should be compatible. And I know there are people out there who are probably listening and thinking, what does she know about capitalism? I have studied these things and a good thriving long-term economy. And it, some of it has to do with your the time horizon that you want to think in. I think about my children and future generations, 1% for the planet. Our whole purpose is we want a thriving future for our planet and future generations that's our mindset is looking out ahead. And so we do see the economy has to support that. And one mm-hmm. of the planet is one of the good ways to start building toward that. I remember thinking about that so much in econ classes or just the way that it always felt like the environment was this separate conversation. It was like, if you want to learn about the environment, then you go take environmental science. But in all these other disciplines that drastically impact the environment. We're never going to talk about it. And that has finite resources and all these things. So I think you're right, moving away from the zero sum game and thinking about that in terms of the length of time that you're thinking about what it takes to thrive and live and survive and all those things, I think is so important. I'm curious, you mentioned before that you do the due diligence on the nonprofit side. Can you talk a little bit about what you look for or need to guarantee in order to say that a nonprofit is the right partner to be a part of the network? Yeah, sure. So overall, our approach to vetting nonprofits is knowledge-based. We aren't looking to rank, create an absolute ranking of here's the best nonprofit, meaning here's the worst. 
because what we ultimately want to do is be able to provide each company, each member, so business or individual with the nonprofits that are best for them based on Mm. their matrix of impact goals, location, brand, all of their unique um, needs. In order to be able to do that, we want to understand our nonprofits really well. And so it's knowledge-based. Our vetting process is basically an information gathering process and that we work through in stages. So there's an initial stage that we're doing just to make sure they're legit nonprofit focused in the areas that are, you know, within the sort of larger frame that we're working in, which is the environment using, but pretty broad, like we've incorporated environmental justice. We use the UN sustainable development goals as a way Mm -hmm. to really look at the environment as more than just straight up protecting acres and really understanding some of the interconnections between some social and environmental issues, planet and people. So using that broader frame. And then we, from there, dig into what's the impact? How are you measuring change? We also look at things like partnering because unlike foundations where there may not be an expectation of a kind of relationship and engagement, for most of our members, there is a greater expectation and hope for more of a relationship and the ability to have shared storytelling or partnerships. And again, based different companies, and this is largely, I'm I'm mentioning companies because it's largely on the business membership Mm. side, they are going to be the ones who are more interested in some of that. But then we are able to provide those best fit numbers. Okay, I love that. And I'm curious, will you go a little deeper in the matrix of the needs of the businesses? To Because this is really interesting because I think that a lot of nonprofits assume that they might not be the right fit for a business if they don't see mission alignment necessarily or vision alignment and they don't necessarily know how to identify What are all the other points of alignment between a business and a nonprofit? And so I think understanding a little bit more, what are you all looking for? How do you matrix that out to think about who the right nonprofit is for the right business? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. Basically, we seek information on both sides. So we get a good understanding of our nonprofits, what they're doing, how they operate. Do the same for the businesses. And specifically, what we're seeking to understand is what's your, where are you operating? Do you want to do your giving Mm. super locally around headquarters? Are you looking for global change? So geographic, based on size of giving, typically we're we're thinking through like how big a nonprofit do you want to work with? Just, Mm. you know, because a small donation to a very large nonprofit may not be as effective or give you access to as much of a partnership as you might want. So Mm -hmm. scoping the recipient based on the size of the giving. And that's not always the case. So that's one that Mm -hmm. we do look at and make sure there's just good understanding there. Volunteering. Some businesses want to have their employees able to volunteer. So that is then another cut on, okay, let's understand. And it may be many of our businesses, particularly bigger businesses, will have multiple different nonprofit partners. Mm -hmm. So some are more aligned on the volunteering side. Some are more aligned on different giving. In terms of that geographic scope of impact, just to go back to that, sometimes companies are thinking through where on our supply chain do Mm. we want to have the giving allocated? So it's not just do we want it to be close to our headquarters, but also just where are we having impact and how can we Mm. work with nonprofit partners in those areas to have an opportunity brand? We do look at what are the brand elements of the business that that they want to bring out 
through their nonprofit partnerships. So sometimes that's literally through like, where is their brand match, like a similarity in terms of how they present. Sometimes it's around how active is the nonprofit in terms of storytelling and are they willing to sort of engage around that and share stories? Because sometimes that's super important. The business wants to do meaningful giving and to be able to to talk about it and to have good content that enables them to talk mm-hmm. about it in a meaningful way that's respectful of the nonprofit and highlights what the nonprofit is doing. We ultimately are fostering a direct relationship. So the reason I'm hesitating is because then from there, it can be really specific, like the the business and the nonprofit, once mm-hmm. they're connecting, may figure out what their kind of special sauce mm-hmm. is. So to be clear, the way our model works, the money doesn't pass through us. We do the advising, we do the sort of building of both networks of the members and the nonprofits, but then the giving is direct. And so the relationship mm. is direct. And so it's very two-way in the mm. you know, in the best relationships. It's very two-way of money flowing from the donor to the nonprofit, the business or individual to the nonprofit, and then like impact and storytelling mm. and you know, all of that positive flowing back. And then together they're creating something more through how they communicate that. First T of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. It saved time. It's helped us raise more funds. By investing in a donor database that they actually loved using, First T of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First T of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising or click the link in the show notes. I love that. And it's making me wonder. How often are companies looking for new partners? If they come into 1% and they get matched up with, let's say, five aligned partners, and those partnerships are growing and they're doing great, do you find that companies are doing a lot more sort of long-term relationships with each other, or are they constantly looking for at new opportunities to partner what do you see there? Yeah, it really varies. So we have mm-hmm. some members who will have long-term commitments, some who will have a very sort of structured rotation, like we want to do mm-hmm. you know, two years. And then some who will, in their first few years, do a lot of sort of testing to figure out what works, and then they'll settle into a plan. I would say it's rare that we have a company that's just, this is the nonprofit I give to forever mm-hmm. done. We're really trying to educate our everyone involved on like how philanthropy can be most effective. And we really encourage and help our members to understand the costs of fundraising for mm-hmm. nonprofits. So when there is a good relationship and we invest a lot in helping to build those, if it can last more than a year, that's super helpful because then that's time that the nonprofit can spend focusing on doing their amazing work in the world as opposed to going out to find more resources. And most of our businesses are really receptive to that. So even if they're making a change, a lot of times they're growing. So they add more nonprofits Mm. and then communicate clearly if there's going to be a change. 
So that tends to work out well. And then there's some that are campaign initiatives that it's clear, like there's going to be some money that comes from this for one time and then something else is going to happen. Yeah. I think the piece that you are just driving home so clearly is that it's really all about alignment and that you guys do a tremendous amount of work, making sure that the organization and the business are aligned, helping them also then it sounds like really I both identify and then be able to communicate about that alignment. One of the challenges I often see is a communication barrier between nonprofit professionals and the company. And so even if I perhaps as the outsider can see, oh my gosh, there's so much brand alignment here in terms of what this company is doing around this and what the this nonprofit is doing here when we're in our like tunnel vision. And especially if we haven't worked with the other sector before or been inside it ourselves, they're just sometimes these words that I watch people miss opportunities around. What Will you talk to me about what you see there and how you guys support around that piece? Yeah, it's a great point. And maybe I'll just back up briefly to share. We really do see the values, the unique and equally powerful values of both the business sector and the nonprofit sector. And we sit in a space where, you know, we touch both very closely. So we speak mm-hmm. the language of both and understand both and really value and see how they have such an important opportunity to relate. Businesses are generating resources through their goods and services and being able to, and have the ability to, you know, influence change through how the business operates, how they use those resources that they're generating. Nonprofits operate where there often is not a market. So they're not generating resources through their work. They're generating impact. Um, And so when a business or a member, but all these businesses are giving to nonprofit, they're expanding the scope of influence that they can have because then they're operating in the market space, but they're also contributing to impact outside of the market space. Mm. And so that relationship is super powerful. So for us, like understanding that clearly and really seeing there's generation of resources and there's generation of impact over here. And that's a little bit of a simplification, but largely that's true. And I think one of the keys is that idea of op going where there is no market mm. and operating where there is no market to, to drive change. Within that, to do well in those two sectors, you do have to have some different skill sets. You do use some different language. Mm. There are different experiences of scarcity and abundance. And so creating ways in which there's shared value mm. is the, the opportunity. And the transfer of money from one to the other is like the kind of most tangible piece of the interaction, but it's not the only part of it. And really fostering shared sense of different and equal power is really important and something that we, you know, really believe in term impact and resources, like we need them both and they fuel each other, positive impact, I should say. And I do, we, in in different ways through the conversations that our amazing account managers and our, our team is having on a regular basis, just really try and foster understanding, like for nonprofits, help them to understand, like, here's what these businesses are looking for. And like, how can we help you to be ready to communicate that to them so that you can, you know, be a good partner with them. And for businesses, helping them to understand, like, unrestricted dollars are super helpful. Like for you to come in and tell them how to spend, tell the nonprofit Mm. partner how to spend their money is sometimes really challenging. Mm. And even though the the money is valuable and you understandably want to understand what's happening with your dollars, let's figure out a way that we can, you know, help you to stay in the unrestricted Mm. space if at all possible. We do as much kind of 
uh, real-time education as we can. And that is what we have found to be most effective because when we're doing it in the context of building relationships as opposed to white papers and mm. stuff like that, it's it really is operationalized. Yeah. Wow. Inside my course, the Power Partners Formula, I do this thing called asset mapping, where I have mm. organizations basically lay out all of their assets because I believe something so similarly. And as someone who grew up in the nonprofit sector, I spent my entire career here and really it gets in your head that the only thing of value at the table is money, right? When you're constantly, when we're in this like constant hamster wheel hustle, just trying to hit our budget goals, it really can drive this, this really deep sense of scarcity. And for me, a lot of what changed the way that I saw that and thought about that was going through an executive coach certification and starting to track what are my thoughts and beliefs? Are they true? How are they correlated to how I feel? And then ultimately how I show up as a fundraiser. And one of the key beliefs was that I felt like I was always asking people to do something they didn't want to do. And when I really looked at that belief and did a lot of work around it, it shifted ultimately into actually like great fundraising is not an ask. It's an offer. It's about opportunity and partnership and collaboration. And there are all these things of value. But then when I tried to translate that to other nonprofit leaders, particularly ones who I wasn't one-on-one -on -one executive coaching with, I was like, gosh, when we're in a deep state of scarcity, it's so hard to access abundance. We hear people just be like, think abundantly. And you're like, how like that feels that feels so far away and i was really struggling to figure out i don't mean quick in a sort of self-guided way how can i help people move out of scarcity and asset mapping was a really tangible way and i didn't even totally anticipate it to happen the way that it did and then it really started to shift the power dynamics at the table because these fundraisers started to be able to show up really recognizing I have a lot of value here and maybe there is going to be alignment and maybe there's not, but yeah, money is not the only thing at this table of value. And I feel starts to then open up the possibility for more conversations about mutual benefit and win-win and actually the stuff that's better for everyone because the companies don't want you coming to them just asking for their money. They get a billion requests for gala sponsorships a year, right? That show no awareness around who they are or what they do or how they want to work with folks. And so I think the work you're doing to facilitate those relationships is tremendous beyond just the, that one engagement or even their 1% for the planet engagement, but just starting to break down these silos of what does it look like for us to really create meaningful change by recognizing the assets and resources that both sectors hold and how much value is created when we come together. That's great. The asset mapping, that's a, I love that framing because I really do think for us operating with an awareness that their assets in across mm -hmm. all of our stakeholders and how do we leverage those together through relationships to drive as much good as possible for planet and people.
I also just interviewed this woman for the podcast, Vanessa Bonds, and she's a scientist who studies influence. And she wrote this book, You Have More Influence Than You Think. But her sort of scientific research is really focused on all the different ways we underestimate our influence. And she's studied fundraisers and donors in particular. And one of the things that came out on that interview that I think is really relevant to this is how much people in power often underestimate how influential their sort of suggestions are. And so we were talking about this in terms of restricted and unrestricted funding that because people who have more quote unquote power and power sometimes being that construct of money being the most valuable thing. So the person with the most money has the most power, but so people with more power in a perceived situation, because they have a lot of autonomy incorrectly assume that the other person at the table also has that same amount of autonomy. So they throw out ideas thinking we're like loosely brainstorming, but then the fundraisers like this donor said, we have to do this (laughs) and they restrict the funding and they buy the truck or they do whatever the thing is instead of asking more questions or trying to get clear. And so I think the fact that you're talking about power more transparently is just so critical. And I'm, I'm just so glad you brought that up. Thank you. And we're always growing and learning and the trust-based philanthropy approach has been one that we've really been learning from. And I want to be open and transparent about the fact that I believe in everything I was just saying, as does our team. And we're on the journey to keep learning and getting better. So what do you hope for if you look 10 years into the future with 1%, what are your big dreams. Back to where I started in terms of talking about this concept of paying rent with the idea behind that being that it's not something that you think, should I opt in or opt out of this? It's actually something that you do. If you have a business, you do this. My vision, our shared vision is to really grow and become a recognized global standard for how a a business should operate in a really core way, not as like an add-on, but 1% check. Like that's part of how, how we manage ourselves in the context of the world that we live in. I definitely see that growth. And we, we think about that in terms of brand awareness, which is may sound interesting, but The more recognized this is as a way in which good business operates, the more it will become normalized and just expected. And that's Mm -hmm. what we would love to see. What would you say to a small business or a business that's just starting that doesn't feel like they can make a 1% of revenue commitment right now? Where do you suggest folks begin? I would say two things. The first thing I would say is, why do you think you can't? And and I don't say that without an understanding of the fact that like starting a business, you need every penny, but I do think really interrogate what are the other things that you are identifying as core costs? Why is this not one of them? In what way does this not meet the criteria of what core to operating a good business? So just ask those questions, whether or not you answer them and they lead to, of course, I should start. I don't say that as like a guilt trip question, more just as a reframing question for what it means to operate a business. And then 
in terms of more action-oriented item, think philosophically or figuratively about 1%. If you do feel like, okay, I tackled that question and I really honestly don't think we could get off the ground if I'm giving 1%, think figuratively about what's 1% that you could give to really start building in the practice of that commitment. Because we do belief as an organization is that everyone has a 1%. It might be 1% of your coffee money as an individual. Like maybe you think through, okay, I spend X amount on buying coffee each week. I'm going to think through what is 1% of that. I'm going to map that out. Okay. I'm going to give, start in some like way that you can wrap your head around it or more just, I'm going to give 1% of my energy to trying to make someone's experience more positive every day. Or it doesn't even have to be something you can literally measure, but just really start thinking in those ways. Cause then you start to see, okay, oh, the basic concept is 1% adds up over time to being real and to being changed. Mm -hmm. So the sooner I can start and the more I can build it into my everyday, the more I can see, of course I can do 1% every day. Mm -hmm. Of course I can. And so really creating that mindset that small steps add up to getting to big mountaintops. I feel like that's such an important point because I think sometimes we can get into this all or nothing mindset and then it feels even sometimes in the ways that we make different purchasing decisions or I've had my fair share of guilt throughout the pandemic in early motherhood about making a last minute purchase at a place I try not to purchase from. My husband and I did something a few years ago where we started offsetting all of our car And it was just a way to bring it into our consciousness around all of our different decision-making throughout the year. And it doesn't mean that we never make decisions that have an impact on the planet. I think, like you said at the beginning, which is so critical is that we are having that impact and we need to accept that and recognize that even businesses that are built with the intention of being more sustainable just by being businesses are creating a situation where they need to pay rent. I really like that framework, not being about are you bad or good, but that this is something we're all participating in. And so we should really all contribute to our time here. Totally. Progress, not perfection. I love that. So tell everyone where they can find you and where they should go if it's a business listening to this, where they should go to learn more about becoming a member and same with a nonprofit if those happen to be different places. Yeah. Our website is 1%fortheplanet.org, all spelled out in letters. If anywhere on the website, you can learn a lot of good information. There is a join link and you'll get information there about both individual and business membership. So encourage you to go there. And then I'm on LinkedIn, Kate Williams. So definitely invite people to connect or reach out that way. It's been a wonderful conversation. So thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you. There are so many things that I love about this conversation with Kate. It is so clear how well she understands both the needs of organizations and companies and what it takes for them to get over some of the communication barriers to create mutually beneficial partnerships. I really appreciate the way she breaks down some of the matrix that creates synergistic partnerships between a nonprofit and a corporate sponsor. She talks about mission, vision, and impact alignment, but also geographical scope of impact 
relative organizational size, the level of volunteer engagement opportunities, brand mapping, and storytelling. And based on the success of 1% for the Planet, I also want to highlight some of the things they are doing incredibly well with and for their partners. Corporate partners love working with 1% for the Planet because they receive a powerful network and sense of community, access to fully vetted nonprofit partners, tools for developing a sustainable giving strategy, and support to amplify each company's story of commitment. All right, there is so much more where this came from, so head on over to malloryerickson.com backslash podcast to get access to all of the show notes right now. You'll also find more information there about Kate and 1% for the Planet and how to connect with them. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I am so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you next week. Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to MalloryErickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.